Hello and welcome to the Boot Room Podcast with me, Jamie Home. Now, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different to usual. Uh, usually you have to listen to, to myself, Alan, Christy. But to be honest, uh, with us being in the throes of lockdown, it's probably given us all a, a chance to test out some of the new content ideas that we've had and probably wanted to try out for a while now. So tonight we're going to do the first of our new podcast series, which is Boot Room Interviews. Now, these are going to be shorter podcasts centered around specific guests. And first up tonight to kick us off, I've got UEFA A coach Gareth Rafferty. Now, Rafa spent over 10 years coaching at Liverpool and Blackburn's Academy and most recently was first team coach at Northern Premier League Club Lancaster City. So first up, welcome to the podcast, Rafa. How are you, mate? Thanks very much, Jay. I'm not too bad. Not too bad like everyone. You're getting through this, uh, these moments, aren't we? Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. How have you been coping in lockdown with no football? Uh I mean, the house is looking fantastic. The amount of DIY <laughs> I've got through is uh, is unreal. I've tried to t- take roughly a room a week, so I've got one one, one room left. Uh, I'm trying to stretch that out as long as possible, really. So it depends what Boris wants. Getting getting all those brownie points in with the misses. Well, I'm thinking once once it's uh, it's all back to normal, really. I, I've got some, yeah, I've, I've earned some points, some brownie points, mate. So. Yeah, I think I think everybody's the same. I know Christy's been working on the decking outside his house for uh, for probably the last six months. He's trying to make that stretch. Uh, I've now <laughs> I've now discovered gardening, which I, I never thought I would. I'm, apt, I'm literally delighted when I'm picking new flowers and putting them out the back. So the sooner football <laughs> is back, mate. I don't know what's happened to me, but I just want to go back to football. So. Obviously, I said about your experience at academy level, and we've got a lot of followers who are football coaches across all age groups, really, and all different types of levels. And I suppose given your experience in working with young players, I wanted to try and tap into some of your ideas and experiences that you've you've had over the years. And hopefully, not only myself, who, who helps coach a, a young group of players, and any of the listeners, they can take something from, from today's podcast and maybe apply it to their own group of players. So... I suppose I've got loads of questions, so I don't want to I don't want to pepper you too much to start with. But I suppose a good place um, that that I think we can kind of kick off from is um, a lot of coaches can struggle at times, I suppose, when trying to find the balance with with young players between making the sessions fun, uh, you know, making the sessions about learning and developing the players, but also you know, with young players, it's trying to retain their attention, which is something that. That, that I struggle with, particularly with my own son, who's who's eight. Um, so, uh, from from your experience, mate, um, how it, how can you find that balance between the three different components? I think it, it obviously depends on the the level you're working at. So, for instance, if you're within grassroots football, you you have to look at the players that you're working with and think, why are they why are they coming to your session? You know, what what do they want out of it? Yes, they want fun. But what define fun? Fun for each child is 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 different. I, you know, I know growing up with myself, you know, if there was someone messing around or asking about in sessions, I always thought to myself, well, that that, that annoyed me, that ruined Jimmy. Whereas I wanted to learn, I wanted to be focused, I wanted someone to push me, challenge me. So it's it's about really learning the personalities of each player, what they want, and giving them little bits so I think within most sessions I think we can have a uh, a few things that really 
bring out all those outcomes, which is the game. All right, now. Yeah, I'll be honest, mate. Just the, uh, the amount of times we're, we're running sessions and the kids will be saying, can we play a game yet? Can we play a game yet? What time's the game? Are we going to play a game yet? Yeah, and I, th- and I think that listen, that's why they come to training. However, they have to, for me, I always try to set an environment of when well, you've got to earn the game. So, right, what I'll do is I can give you a little 10 minutes at the beginning when they first arrive. Or, you know, so you have a, a, an arrival activity for them, which could be the game. And you say, right, I'll give you five, ten minutes. If the game's not up to standard, it's cut short. So immediately you're setting the the tone for the players to say, right, okay. Now you might give them a challenge then within that individual challenges. So you might say to one player, for instance, who is struggling with a passing or receiving. So you might say to them, uh, this team, certain team can't score until player X, little Johnny's touched the ball, you know, received it and passed it. So that forces the players around them to start thinking, well, okay, what do I, we've got to give the ball to little Johnny because if he doesn't touch it, we can't score. You might say to another player, the only player that can score in this team is, for instance, if it's your Josh, you'd say, right, you're the only player that can score in this team or if you score, it's worth two, two points. All of a sudden, if it's specific to the individual, they become more interested in the session because it is more relevance to them. They understand why they're there. They understand that they're getting something extra from a coaching session. So I think first and foremost, you know, really, if you want to strike a balance between every, between anything, it's know your players, know what they need, and then try to work, work back from the game. So, when you're preparing sessions, really, I've got sort of four headings that you begin to prepare sessions from. So you, you've obviously got a plan. Now your planning will incorporate the the philosophy that you want to work from, or your club's philosophy, or whatever level the objectives you want to get out of the session. So why are you doing the session? You have to understand why you're doing it. Who is it specific to? So that's again taking in that individual, uh, the age and the relevance to the game. Uh, and I think if, if you start from those, then you you will obviously, along the line, strike a balance between everything. So I think in a long-winded way, yeah, if you plan it and you know your players and you know what what's fun for them, what they need in terms of the learning, I think you can hit everything within parts of the session. You'll never cover all of it. You'll never... You know, kids won't enjoy every session that you do. They're not supposed to because that's also part of the learning. Uh, so it, it, it's really, I think, when you know your players, it, you know, in short, know your players, work to objectives and make it relevant to the individual. It, it's interesting that you mentioned session planning because, um, you know, as I said, I, I help out Jamie, who's the the main coach and He's, he's a, a football encyclopedia. He's got all the sessions. He can think of drills, uh, you know, in a matter of seconds and, and be really creative with them. I think I've got a good understanding of football, but I can't transmit that into into drills and, and structure, I suppose, for the sessions. Um, so with you saying, you know, that thought process that you go through when planning a session, what would you say then on the on the flip side of that makes a, a bad session, for example? You know, what what would distinguish a good and a and a bad session and how can other coaches avoid falling into maybe some of the, the traps of a of a bad session? So 
with with bad sessions, I mean, people, first of all, let's dispel. If the kids can't do something, it does not mean it's a bad session. That's the first thing for me. It could actually be that they can't do it because it's challenging them. And therefore, that's actually a good session. It may not look pretty on the eye. It may look chaotic. It may look wrong in terms of they're not able to do it as well as you want them to do it. But there's lots of good learning going on uh, inside in the brain. Do you know what I mean? In those, as long as they are trying it, they are practicing it, and they are engaged in it, then there's good learning going on in there. And it might just take, you may try that session. It could be the first time you ever do it. And that's why it's not going, you know, it's not rosy, it's not all singing, all dancing. But come back to that session a couple of days' time, put on the exact same session and just see how much the kids have developed from doing it the first time. Um, so that, so really, it doesn't have to be perfect. No session is perfect. So I think once you get over that as coaches, then you're you're beginning to get, you know, to go on the right path. For me, a bad session is probably something that is not repetitive in in your learning or your objective. For instance, if you want someone to work on passing and receiving or the team to work on, say, passing and receiving because inevitably most people want, that's what they want the kids to do. If, if there's no opportunities to pass and receive the ball, then that's a bad session. So making sure that they get you know, what you've set out, the objectives that you're trying to get out, make sure it's repetitive uh, so that they can practice those learning outcomes. And I think if, if you avoid those two things, then you're sort of well well on your way really to having a, a decent session as long as that, you know, and again, and maybe if it's not challenging the kids, uh, then it's not it's not a good session really. So it's got to challenge them. And it's got to, uh, it's not always got to be perfect, but it has to be repetitive in your in your message. It's interesting you say, uh, you know, you may run a session and the kids don't get it. Uh, and, and I think I suppose a lot of coaches would look at that and go, oh, you know, maybe I've, uh, you know, I've raised the bar too high there. And, and you become self-reflective in a way in terms of, you know, have we, have we done that right? Have we done that wrong? But then in the same breath, you say that you could revisit that session, you know, a week or so later or a few weeks later and, and they can they can grasp it. So with with that in mind, do you think the best way for young players to, to learn is is repetition? Is it drilling the same type of things, you know, week after week? Um, and I'll, I'll give some colour to this because there's something that, that we always talk to our players about. And I'm not sure back in, in England, if you have it in uh, youth football at a younger age, the retreat line, do you use the retreat line back, out, back home in the UK? Yeah, we, we, we do. It's... Yeah, I mean, I, I understand why they brought it in. For me, it's not the game. It doesn't. It doesn't teach any child anything because it, put the, put this picture to it. Really, if you think a retreat line, who's the first player that that starts off with the ball? Say it's gone out for a goal kick. Who's the first player that starts with the ball? The goalkeeper. The keeper. Yeah. Now, what what do you want your goalkeeper to do? when they're playing out from the back in any way, what is, what's the first thing they have to do? So this is, so this is the, this is the challenge that, that we have is 
the goalkeeper's got to be comfortable on the ball. He's, he's got to roll it out to to one of the two defenders. So for those listening that don't know what a retreat line is, just uh, supposed to uh, to give some context. So basically in the small-sided games for young players, there will be a, a line drawn or there'll be two cones at either side of the pitch to indicate a line. Um, and, and basically uh, that ball, uh, it's to encourage players not to just hoof the ball long basically you have to play the ball out to a defender who will receive the ball within that retreat line um, and then none of the opposition's team is allowed to enter into that zone until the defending player has got that ball under control and has, and has taken a touch so I suppose the, the challenge that we face then I mean we've got a great group of, of young players they're all super comfortable on the ball but it took a while for us to to, you know the trial and error we're saying play out from the black play out from the back and when we'd come up against the the better sides um you, you know they would press us very very quickly and you could see the color would drain out of the lads faces because in reality they've been closed down so quick other players haven't made a movement to to create a passing lane to receive the ball so it in all honesty they they haven't really got a chance or you know a hope to do anything useful with the ball so i mean from from your side you know, it, how can we, do we encourage them to keep doing that? Um, you know, as we said, is it is it repetition? Uh, is it having the confidence to, to try these things? What would you advise? So I think with, with repetition, it's also got to have some realism. It's got to have, you know, watered down versions and then you're building up to the real game. Now, my problem with the retreat line is exactly that. So first of all, your goalkeeper has got no decision to make whatsoever. So as soon as you put a forward in there, now all of a sudden the goalkeeper is having to look left and right and think, well, who do I give the ball to? Why am I giving it? For instance, if, say, a centre-forward is closer to your right centre-back, then the you know the decision for the goalkeeper would be to play out to the left. Yep. Now, if they don't have that centre-forward in that position... They do not know or read the game in the right manner. So what they do is, and we've had it before, where kids just like you'll see them like flick it, flicking the ball out, or you know throwing it from behind their head, or rolling it through their legs, and you think to yourself, "What are you doing, son?" <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> you just put, put pass it. Will you pass it properly? And he's looking at you, going, "Well, <laughs> he's got the centre back's got the ball. So what do you mean, pass it properly? He's got the ball. Yeah. That was my objective. Do you know what I mean?" <laughs> And it, it, it boils my skin, you know what I mean, that you think, well, I mean, what for me, the solution, and I might patent this one, is put a, a, a mat. So if you're in training, for instance, the way around that is put a mat down in training. So have your retreat line and put a mat down in a position. So it might be directly in the centre. And now what you'll say is to your, your two centre-backs also have a reference point of the centre-forward. And say right, both of them they split wide. Well, why are you splitting wide? Because now the goalkeeper's got an angle to play to me, and it's further away from the centre forward. So therefore, I've got more time to receive the ball, look up, and make a decision. Brilliant. Okay, that, that, that's great. And now they play the first pass, and now all of a sudden you might use that and say right, you've got to drive out with the ball, drive forward. So the thing that's making them drive out is now they're going to be under pressure from the centre forward. Also, by doing that, the opposition or the team that that they're that you're coming up against now have to work a press 
properly and inevitably they won't at, at the very younger ages they'll add that now all of a sudden you're teaching that team how to press properly as well mm. again they've got some context because what i found when i saw that first was so the, the keeper passes a first player gets it and it was literally it was like a stampede so four <laughs> four or five of the opposition would just sprint directly at this one player now if you think about it when you you know as a kid put your kid put yourself in the kid's eyes or kid's shoes and then have a you know look at what's in front of you you've got five kids sprinting towards you and you're thinking they've covered down most of my angles to pass the ball so what does a kid do panic they can only panic. kick and only yeah panic hoof it you know it, there's there's no that's not real to me that's not real whereas putting one dot down and saying right start with one center forward in there now we had it in the past where I told one of the coaches when when I saw it I just said to him I said tell the opposition manager he, he can have, they're allowed one player in or the referee tell the opposition to put one player in the middle or in in the inside the retreat zone and their manager was going hopping mad. He was like, they're cheating, they're cheating, they're telling my player to go in there. And you're like, how is it cheating? We're, ask- we're asking for more pressure. We're asking your player to start higher up the pitch. They've got more chance of scoring. But as soon as they did that, they hadn't worked on a proper press. So there was gaps. Yeah. So now all of a sudden there was a bit of space. Now the things that we'd worked on in training had more relevance to the kids. They could see the pictures that we're creating in training. And we used to ask the first, the centre-back and say, right, at the very youngest ages, you know, when they very first start playing football, 5v5, I condition all my all the players that, that play in sort of my grassroots club. None of them, they're not allowed to pass the ball until they beat a man. So all of a sudden, one player comes towards them. They skip past, they beat the first man. Now they have time, space. Everybody else can now react off that move. And listen... In the beginning, you concede lots of goals. Like I always, when, when the kids start playing, you know, for myself, you know what I mean, under in my grassroots club, I think the score lines are something around about 18s, 20s. And it, it, I get it, it, it looks demoralising for the kids. But give them to like, you know, usually after Christmas when it's all sank in, those score lines come down to around about 12. By the time they hit, under eights and especially going into seven v seven then further up i know all those players no matter what position to put them in they can deal with the ball they can handle pressure they can beat someone one v one and the opposition then all your pass and activities come in after that it's a good way of think, thinking about it because I suppose uh, the trap I would say uh, some coaches would fall into and, and arguably parents as well, it's results first, development second. So, uh, you know, it, uh, you can see it sometimes, even at such a young age, it's nearly about the, the coach's CV and getting, you know, getting one over on a local rival rather than saying, do you know what, what I actually care about here is developing footballers for the long term so the result today although we always want to win and it should hurt when you lose it's not just about that it's about creating players that are going to stick with this game for many many years to come yeah so it's again it's having context to what you're doing why are you you know are your objectives why are you doing it why are you playing the way you're doing why are you coaching the way you're doing 
you know, what do you want this person to look like when they are 16, 18? If you want this person to be free and they make good decisions, are you giving them, first of all, you know, when again, when we go back to sort of when the kids first start with myself, I always say to the parents, the losing part is the most important for, for their, their development for the future. And they look at you going, what? What are you on about? Well, I want my kid to win. And but well, he's not scored 10 goals or whatever it is. And I always say, well, if they learn that losing, you know, when you lose, you have to do something about it and you have to train properly. Now, all of a sudden, they're understanding sort of why they're training, how they have to go and practice to become better, how by practicing and getting better, it affects the results further down the line. And also the game, like if you think about like the goals, the size of the goals, how many goals do you see in grassroots football that the, the goalkeeper has got his hands pointing into the top corners, like left and right, and the ball goes straight over his head and everyone's saying, wow, what a goal. Isn't that amazing? Wasn't that fantastic? And you're thinking, <laughs> it wasn't. The go- You've got a Sabutio goalie in. <laughs> yeah, he's just, the keeper's just starting there. You know what I mean? And you think, he's like a manic, like a scarecrow or a mannequin. You think, well, that's, that, he's not, that child's not going to score that goal. So for me, would you praise that goal? No. I'd ask a kid to actually pass the ball into the bottom corner Make sure it hits the triangle in the bottom. You know the the triangle part of the goal. If you own, if you hit the triangle, that's a goal in in my eyes. Anywhere else isn't a goal, isn't a finish. And all of a sudden, kids start beginning to look at the even the finishing aspect or the goal. They look at it differently, and they understand that you're going to concede goals because you're, you know, he's not tall enough and he's not a goalkeeper. And and when the game evolves and develops, the pitch expands as well have you developed the players to play the game or have you developed have you developed them to win a match on a Sunday? So it comes back to you sort of your ultimately your philosophy as well. You know, why are you doing it, your objectives? So it's interesting it's interesting that you say and I'm gonna use my, my son as an example. I feel bad to keep referring to him, but you you touched on something around the losing piece and I agree with you. I think losing is really important at this stage because my son started playing football and he he hadn't actually experienced many defeats. He played in a local tournament and they went all the way and won it. So he's like, oh, brilliant. He's got a trophy and he's at a good club where they win the majority of the game. So it was nearly like he thought football was easy and then sorry to drop this in, but I've got to. He started following football when Liverpool have turned into a brilliant team. So he's literally <laughs> seen Liverpool. He's literally seen Liverpool get to two Champions League finals, of which they won one. He's literally seen Liverpool in domestic football lose two games in two years. So he's kind of like, hold on, this fo- I've got football sussed here. This is this is easy. <laughs> Whereas I've seen them lose a couple of games, and he he lost a, a tournament, the same tournament that he'd won the year before. And he got to the semis and he got beat and he, he was crying and he ran off and uh, he didn't talk on the way home. And my missus was all worried about him. And I, and I said to her, I was like, no, this is this is important. It's brilliant. Because now he's, got, now he's got a line in the sand. You know, if like you said, if you go to training and the boys aren't applying themselves or let's say that, you know, they're a couple of goals down early on in a match, 
you've got that feeling to say, look, do you remember how you felt that time? You don't want to feel like that again, do you? So let's get out there and and, and make it right. So you, you need these experiences. And it, it's, you know, at, at such a young age, the kids are sponges. You want them to taste all facets of football as quickly as possible. So they start to build up that kind of back catalogue of, of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing, I suppose to to kind of because we can we can talk about this all night and 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 I'm very cognizant of the time. So I, I, I want to try and skip forward forward a little bit in terms of the the points that we wanted to cover. And one of them um, is is more around the technical ability of the boys in a group. Um, and I suppose one thing that coaches are up against is that all players' speed at which they learn is different. So how do you cater in a session? for those different levels. You know, if you've got a, a, a few of the boys that are really struggling to pick it up and let's say it's it's affecting the the rest of the drill, do you do you plan that in advance or is that very reactive and, and maybe you'll pivot to do something else when you see maybe some of the boys struggling? Yeah, for me, it, that probably comes into your planning and preparation. You'll, you'll know or expect some players maybe not to be able to do something or others to get frustrated with, you know, other kids within their group. So, I mean, ways of, of doing that is having, I know some people don't like it at times, but it's having the best with the best because it then gives you appropriate challenges for every, every kid. And you could have challenges for, you know, some of the better players in your group and saying, right, that's what they need. They need that you know, to play against each other, whether it's in a 1v1 or to do a pass and drill against each other, uh, do those things and you think, right, they're getting something. The group in the middle, some of them might need the better challenges, some of them might need the weaker challenges. But every kid is being challenged appropriate to their ability. Yeah, that that comes into the plan and preparation. I think ultimately when you're when you're going in and you're you're delivering because this is probably the delivery or the doing part you know when i said earlier about the plan and the prepare the do and the review it's the doing part so the doing part now is the the language that you use for each group of players or each individual is very important because the language that you use has many different outcomes all kids hear your language or your your tones differently uh, the challenges that you set, you can set challenges within the four corners. I think it's it's something I obviously had down here that I wanted to talk about. You know, the technical side of the game, uh, the social, the psychological side, the physical side, and the tactical side. So how do you marry all them things up in your session? How do you, have you got appropriate challenges to get more of something? If you, say for instance, you want better attackers, uh, you might you might actually coach defenders. You may actually coach the the team defensively, and then say to your attackers, right, go and go and break down that problem, go and solve that problem. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I've set a challenge for you. There's your challenge. Go and break them down. And you might put certain players in certain positions because you know that you know. For instance, if if a kid can't see the game in 360 you might play them as a as a fullback or a winger or whatever it is and think right that suits them at this moment better 
But ultimately, at some point, you're going to have to move them so they do get a little bit of that 360 awareness. It's funny you say that, mate. I, I, sorry to interrupt. It. It's, it just on that point, it's something that, that strikes a chord with me because I I never had that 360 vision. Um, and it was only, I don't, you may have heard me mention it on on a podcast with, with Christy and Al. I was 25, 24, 25. Uh, I was playing for Warrington Town at the time. And our manager... Uh, had just got the sack who who had brought me to the club and the the new manager had been watching him. You got the sack. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that type of player. <laughs> Loyal to the core. Um, and the, the new manager had been watching the last few games in the stands and first training session comes over to me and he says, Jamie, I don't want you to play centre midfield. Bear in mind, I played centre midfield my whole life. And I was like, right, yeah. okay. He goes, you're not very good at receiving your ball with your back to goal. I want you to play right back for me. And I was, you know what footballers yeah. are like when you first hear something, the, the skeptical uh, beings. And I was like, mm, okay. And he said, just trust me, play one game and you'll see what I mean. And I swear to God, and I'll never tire of telling the story. Um, it was like I was playing a different game. It, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way. It was really easy because... I could I could pick every pass. I there was no such thing as a bad pass. If there was no options on into feet, I could clip a ball down the line or or clip it into strikers' feet. Everything was in front of me, so I had untold amount of options. Whereas as a centre midfielder who had never been coached to to pivot my head, to turn my head, to look over my shoulder, to get that picture of what's around me before I take the first touch, my first touch was usually going back towards my own goal. And you know what that means? Boom. I've got two, three players on me and then I'm causing myself problems. So I, I, I really, I, I always say it to, to the young group that we've got is take a picture, take a picture, turn your head, turn your head. And I really do think that that's one thing. If kids can pick up at a young age, that will stand to them for, for throughout the whole career. Well, I think I learned, you know, I think I was 20 something. I was at Liverpool, obviously with the, the technical directors come in that were that used to be at Barcelona. Do you know what I mean? So they'd worked with like Fabregas and all these lads coming through as as unbelievable centre mids, Iniesta, all the rest of it. And you're thinking, and all they used to say, everything was just back foot, back foot, back foot. And in the first time you heard it, you're going, what? What's he all about back foot? And it was like never, just wherever the ball is, just always have your body open. Now I had played centre back, so again, similar to you when you're saying right back, you think, well, the game's always in front of me. I I never seen the game, do you know what I mean, at, at that 360. I know, I got some of your passes. <laughs> <laughs> your, dentist, your dentist will tell you about that as well. <laughs> but yeah, but it was it was just sort of a very, very simple message, do you know what I mean, that they kept on reiterating. And I think that's, that's probably another point for coaches, really, that the clarity in your messages have got to be simple and repetitive you know again you're back to repetition repeat your messages as coaches because that's the only way it gets through really and you know it doesn't always happen there and then it, it can take years down the line for it to sink in and then all of a sudden they'll have a trigger moment where you know it goes ah oh, is that what he meant and you're thinking 15 <laughs> years down the line so <laughs> yeah he was on to something yeah he was on <laughs> if i had listened to him earlier if i had got that earlier it just, you know, they, they see it all at different stages. 
Right. So a couple, a couple of questions that, that, that I want to finish on. So one you touched on when you were talking about coaching in the four corners and, and, and the different elements of that. And one was the, the social side. Now, I always think, you know, as a coach, you don't just want to develop players, but you also want to develop good people as well. So how can you go about creating a culture within a, a young group of players? It's like every culture, whether it be, for instance, in a business or any organization. It, yes, you can have all these fancy slogans, words, you know, around the place, but it, it's in your actions. It's in everything that you do. Does it ring through to the players. You know, if you're asking for professionalism, but yet you're not professional, well, you're not going to get that from your kids. Do you know what I mean? If you, for instance, you we go back to, you were saying about like a fun session. If you want a fun session, but yet you're not being fun within the session, you're coaching the life out of the kids. You know, you, you have to do things that, you, that you're saying you're going to do. So creating a culture is, is really an everyday thing. It's how you speak, the language you use, repeating your messages, you know, being a role model, selecting role models within the group. If you see somebody, you know, doing something, for instance, the kids, you know, picking up the cones and they put them all in the correct colours, you go, oh, I love that. that that's superb. Well, Johnny, you're a captain on Sunday because I, I like that. I like that standard. And all of a sudden, all the other kids look over and go, why is he captain? And you go, well, He's, 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 he's tidied up all the gear he's put everything back in the correct and all of a sudden you guarantee you if you did it once you would see all the other group the first thing they'd do they'd be grabbing all the cones they'd be picking it all up they'd be putting it all away so it's whatever you want to get out of it you might see a kid a kid supporting another kid say the kid's upset and you leave them so say for instance your Josh was upset do you know what I mean and, and you're saying about you know what I mean, your wife worrying about him and you're sort of going, no, no, leave him, leave him. You know, there's, there's, there's something going on there, do you know what I mean, that somebody wants to go over and support, someone's thinking actually the hard lesson there needs to be that. But in a game, in a match, what do you want to happen to that player? You want one of your teammates to go over and support them. You want one of them to go over, oi, come on. No, that's, that's not how we react. We have to do this. We have to do X, Y, and Z. Now, you may have to prompt as a coach. You may have to go over to one of the other kids and say, do us a favor. Go over and see if so-and-so's all right. Just ask them if they're okay. And if if you can help them, brilliant. I'll give you a, a bonus point as a, as, a, as a player or a star or whatever it is, or you can get player of the session. Do you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever happens, you can pick those moments. Out, and I think that creates the culture then. So it's you as a coach highlighting the positivities and, and the good things that are happening in your environment and what you want from your players. And ultimately then the others will, will follow. You you've you've led me on you've led me on to that the next question nicely because you know, if I, if I'm understanding right, your behaviours should mirror the culture that you're trying to create. And uh, before we go into onto one of the listeners' questions. I'm going to ask a question, if that's all right. And this is after a little bit of parental advice, because one thing that I struggle with massively is being coach and being dad. Um, and it kind of links to behavior in terms of match days. So mm -hmm. what behaviors would you recommend on a match day? Because one thing I'm very cognizant of is I, I probably overcoach in that I'm too vocal and I don't 
I don't, I want the kids to make up their own, you know, the, uh, have the ability to make up their own decisions in game without me spoon feeding them. So what type of behaviors do you think are are most important for coaches and and probably parents now on, on match days? So I think you have to have a, a match day sort of behavior. First of all, you have to be self-aware. You have to be aware of, of how you are. So at the moment, yeah, you're reflecting on, you know, even as, as yourself, as much as the kids are, are improving and growing, we as coaches are all the time. And I'm by no means, I don't get it right all the time. Do you know what I mean? But give yourself steps. So for instance, if you want to speak to a kid, a great one I was told was put a sweet in your mouth during the game and if you want to say something to a kid take the sweet out you have to take the sweet out so that it just you know for a moment it just makes you think well do I need to no actually I'll just leave that because I've seen it once I'll watch that and see does it happen again because you think how many times do do kids do something and you're about to say to them oh you know no no I want, I want. and all of a sudden they do it and you think just be be patient. Give the kids time to have you know to trial and error things to get things wrong. I'd say so. Analyze analyze what they do. Have a have a little structure to your own coaching points on match day. So analyze what they do. Give them one or two opportunities to see are they doing it. If they're not doing it after the second or the third time, can you think of a challenge or a question that might prompt? you know, the right response from them. So for instance, uh, you know, one one kid might be, he might be playing off one touch and you might say to him, I want you to take more than one touch. Yeah, you can't pass the ball until you take more than one touch. You might have another kid who's taken more touches. You might pose them a little challenge like uh, you can only, you can only dribble on your weak foot. Now, as long as you're willing to understand that they may not be successful at that moment in scoring a goal, but ultimately for the long-term development of that child, you may also get something better out of it. Uh, so it's looking, it's looking at yourself and thinking, right? How do I, how do I set challenges to the kids? So you might say, instead of talking to the player themselves, you might, you know. You know, say for instance, if it's Josh, you might pick somebody else to buddy up with Josh and say, right, do you know what? I'm not actually going to coach him. I'm going to tell another player on the team who he responds to really well. I'm going to give them information that they have to feed to him during the game. So ultimately, you're not then speaking to your own son, for instance, or you might turn around and say to the other manager who does it with you, do me a favour, you know, you do you know, you look after sort of my son, you give him the coaching points. And if and if the other fellow's got a son on the team, I'll do, you know, his son. Do you know what I mean? So it's, you swap over, really. So you're not talking to your own son, you're swapping over. Uh, if, you, you know, it's a bit of like co-coaching. But really, look at sort of analysing what they're doing, why they're doing it. Look at a simple challenge or a question or another way of, without telling them the answers, let them find out in the game themselves or or put constraints. I think uh, one thing that I've learned really over the last couple of years, really going through the FA, is constraints-based coaching. And that means 
really putting restrictions on parts of the game that ultimately help the kids learn in other ways. So thinking of rules, it's stuff we've all done in the past. Say, for someone says, right, you're only everyone's on two-touch. Yeah, that just promotes more passing, more receiving, moving the ball around. They have to think a bit quicker. That's constraints-based coaching in a nutshell. So it's thinking of rules uh, to get the outcome. So hopefully, yeah, if that if that helps you really, just put a sweet in your mouth. Think about what you're going to say before you say it. And then... You know, you've known me for a long time, mate. That's probably not one of my strong points, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I was the same. So, so my, my my tip is get a pack of words as original before the next game and shove a few of them great, in my mouth. Great, yeah, great sweet while you're coaching, mate. The best one. <laughs> okay, last question before we wrap up, and this came in from one of the listeners, Tom McGurk. Now he asked, "What type of physical work would you recommend for an under 14s team during pre-season?" Ooh, uh, that that's that age group that's probably the the worst age group or the you know what I mean the most difficult because some of them are just beginning to go through that stage of their life uh the hormones are kicking in and really you have to be aware of each individual where they are on sort of their growth their growth plan are they in the middle of a growth spurt have they just had one uh are they at the end of a growth spurt that will affect especially within the the physical sides of the game some kids are that they're like they're like Bambi on ice. Do you know what I mean? You see them and they're all knees and long legs. You know, if they're just going through that that growth spurt, some of them might be tiny because they haven't gone through that growth spurt yet. So it's it's a real it's a under fourteen is a minefield really, and it's it's something probably a bit more specific to someone with you know a better background in terms of you know sports science really and looking at them and saying right what plans can we put in place but then everyone needs the basics within football so you know what i mean agility sprinting explosive speeds a lot of body weight exercises are probably good uh within any session and ultimately because they're learning to carry their own weight if they are doing stuff in the gym just make sure it's at the appropriate weights don't be overloading weights at that age really just get them to form techniques understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and then eventually they, they move on to light body weight exercises or lifting small small weights but lots of repetitions just to build form rather than muscle mass don't be trying to build them up uh, that's something that can be done really later down the line uh, but to try and incorporate as much into your training sessions as possible where you know tag games and things like that where they're having you know to use speed agility yeah you know carrying someone we've all done the ones where you know horses we shoot horses and they're all up on someone's back and stuff like that do you know what i mean it might seem silly but it's it's all it's all relevant it's all good stuff for those age groups but really find out sort of where they are all on their on their growth uh, maturity sort of where they're at if they're in the middle of a growth spurt leave them alone leave them alone let them come through it and that could take maybe six months uh, and then you know just you need to go back and sort of work on the basics really that they that they would have done as as young sort of foundation age players Jimmy when they were 
seven, eight, nine, ten. They need all those games again for me at that age when they've just gone through a growth spurt, just to rewire the uh, the myelin really that goes into the the muscles. Okay, and and one final thing, I suppose, would you be a fan of of getting the balls out in preseason, or are you old school? Eh, uh, I I like a bit of both because I think you get you get returns from. You know, ultimately, yeah, you can, you can do a lot with the ball, and it is more engaging and it's hidden running. You can do, but sometimes you can't be putting the balls away, going a bit old school and the bleak test and hill runs because it may not be the physical side that you're you really. Should. Sometimes you get a really good test of a, of a player's mentality. You know, when it's when those things are they're tough. Do you know what I mean? They're horrible. They're and it, it sometimes that can bond a team. They've all gone through those things together. Uh, I know when I was at Blackburn, they used to go to Scotland, uh, and they get a beasting up in Scotland. Do you know what I mean? Where they'd be like SAS type training, and and ultimately they come back and they're they're different. They're different boys. The boys becoming men, and it, it sometimes do you know what I mean? Oh, listen, don't we, don't get me wrong. They always they played football and they've done all those things, but. Sometimes a little bit of old school. Well, what's classed as old school uh, pre-seasons are not. They're not the worst as long as it's not. You know what I mean? Ridiculous, but a, a balance between everything really is is important. Probably the, the the last thing I probably would would leave some coaches with really is within all your sessions there will be, you know, it's what the FA call you know a, a continuum, a practice continuum. So. Try to work within it where you're releasing as much control as possible. So between structured and sort of unstructured sessions uh, where you've got control, if you're a control, as it, for instance, if you're a command style coaching, you're telling the kids what to do all the time, you know, there's high repetition, but you're in control, you're telling them what to do. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got chaos, which is the game, less instructions from you as coaches, more freedom, more application of what they've learned. I think within every session needs to be a balance between those. Uh, and, and if you're designing sessions, make sure you design them in relation to that, where you have you might think, right, I've got a little bit of control here, but I actually need to release and let the kids go. I need them to be free. If I want them to be creative, I need to think of uh, rules or constraints that do the coaching for me. And I, I think that's that's important, really. That if you're ever practicing sessions, that you've got that practice continuum. If anyone wants to look it up on the FA website, it's a good uh, it's a good thing, really, to work off. Okay. Well, from from my side, mate, I'm, I'm mindful. We said we we're going to keep it to half an hour, so we absolutely did not deliver on that, and we're now at forty seven minutes. So that's uh, that's yeah, we're sort of gone for longer. Uh... <laughs> uh, you just don't want to get back to the misses. I think we're both hiding away and enjoying talking about football. <laughs> to finish, mate. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, first things first. Thank you. Uh, for th- thanks for your time. I know you plan on doing more pa- podcasts with us. Uh, I think you're going to do some writing for the blog as well. So it's 
it's it's great to have you on board um from uh from a listener perspective i hope you all enjoyed the first of our boot room interviews we've got lots more content coming up as you may have seen on our social channels today we're actually working on a new live stream show which is pretty much ready to go so keep an eye out for that um so as always if you enjoy what we do please do tell your friends and send us your feedback whether that's in the form of a review or a message on social media so with that I hope you all enjoy a fantastic remainder of the week and we will chat to you again soon on the Boot Room Podcast. All the best.